So I felt a little bit cheated and also I felt a lot of guilt in that this was supposed to be kind of an easier to manage disease. So why have I not been able to get it under control? Welcome to episode 37 of About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at age 16 and had two-step J-pouch surgery 10 years later. I'm the IBD expert at VeryWell.com and the person behind AboutIBD.com and the About IBD social media platforms. It's my mission to educate people living with IBD about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. My guest is Rashid Clark. Rashid was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis as a young man and lives with a J-pouch today. He's an IBD patient influencer and author, but that is just the beginning. He's truly multifaceted, which made for a fascinating interview and one that was long overdue. His diagnosis story is unique, but there's one common element that many people with IBD will relate to in that it took longer than it should have. He describes his reasons for writing a book about his life with IBD called Three Tablets Twice Daily, as well as writing his blog at rashidclark.com. He brings a fresh perspective to how writing about your own IBD can affect those around you and how that brings a certain amount of responsibility. Coming up next, you'll hear what Rashid has learned from his journey and the many ways it has affected him. For me, things started in 2017, sorry, 2007, um, dating myself here now. Uh, 2007 is when I first started realizing something was off with my health. And at the time I was living in Halifax, I was working full time. Everything generally in life was pretty good. And I was what I thought to be in the best shape of my life physically. And uh, I had a a half marathon coming up called the Blue Nose. And I was training for that, running quite a lot, feeling generally pretty well after even the long runs. And then one day, all of a sudden, I just had really bad diarrhea with blood, with uh, mucus in the stool. And it just kept getting worse to the point where it was pretty much every hour at the top of the hour. I don't know why it timed out that way, but pretty much every hour at the top of the hour, I had to use the bathroom. And every time it was just loose stool, blood, mucus, every time I took tons of over-the-counter treatments to try to get uh, the diarrhea under control. None of that worked. Uh, eventually, I went to a family doctor to get things checked out. That led to you know a number of tests. Nothing really came back to show that it was IBD one way or the other. And oddly enough, I had uh, taken some medications that my uncle, who is a physician in India, had sent over to me, and it helped to get the symptoms under control. Everything just kind of stopped, which was great. And I thought, okay, weird thing that happened, and now I'm better and everything's fine. And then I went about a year or so, almost a year and a half without any symptoms whatsoever. And this is with no treatment whatsoever. And then it was 2008 in the fall that all of a sudden the diarrhea just came back again and nothing was getting it under control. And eventually got a referral to a gastroenterologist, colonoscopy revealed ulcerative colitis. And it was uh, 2008, late in the year that I got the official diagnosis of ulcerative colitis. 
started on a couple of treatments. Things went pretty well for about two years, just with maintenance therapy. And again, and at the time, I really thought that everything was going to be fine. Like when I got the diagnosis, I was actually kind of relieved because I, I thought now, all right, now I have a diagnosis. I know what the problem is. I can treat it. And the little bit of reading that I did at the time made it seem as though you take some medication and then everything's fine. And that's just your, your life from now on is take a few pills and otherwise your life is perfectly normal. And actually that was the case for me for a couple of years, but then the medications stopped working and that's when things got pretty bad. And I tried one medication after another, I tried a different uh, you know, diet changes, tried alternative medications, nothing, nothing worked. Uh, even the you know, really expensive uh, pharmaceutical options didn't work for me. So in 2013, I had my colon removed with the eye to create a pelvic pouch. The surgery in 2013 did not go very well, had a number of complications as a result of that. So I spent about a month in hospital. And then I was eventually released. I was supposed to have an ostomy for about three months before the reversal and then the, the second part of the J-pouch surgery. That three months ended up being nine months because I had a number of complications. And I remember when I left the hospital, I thought I would be leaving the hospital with an ostomy after the first surgery. But after the first surgery, I left the hospital with an ostomy and a wound that needed packing and a home care nurse and a drainage tube that was running into my butt cheek, which came out to a drainage collection bag on my thigh because I had an abscess. So I had like all these things going on with me when I finally left the hospital. And it took about nine months to get things a little bit more under control. Had the reversal, uh, ostomy reversal surgery in 2014 and been living with a pelvic pouch, J pouch since then. So we're actually coming up to I guess it would be the five-year pouch anniversary for me. So uh, very much looking forward to, or six-year pouch anniversary. Uh, sorry, I should do better math. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. And so far, things have been pretty good with the pelvic pouch. Occasional problems with it, but honestly, it's really been uh, a life changer for me from the disease being really active and, and hard to control to actually having a lot more control over my life and over my body. So things have been good with the J-pouch. I asked Rashid why his physicians didn't put it together that he had ulcerative colitis or even mention it to him. He was a young man living in Canada with bloody diarrhea and mucus. Ulcerative colitis should have been on the radar after ruling out other things like hemorrhoids or bacterial infections that could also cause bleeding. At the time, his physicians didn't do a test such as a colonoscopy or a sigmoidoscopy where they could have seen the inside of his colon and if there was any inflammation there. Other tests, such as an MRI or a CT scan, can also show the bowel in more detail, and those are sometimes also used in managing IBD. But these weren't the tests that his doctor ordered. There was a delay in getting some proper testing done. So just to back things up a little bit, I got, you know, went to the doctor, tried to figure out what was going on, had some tests for E. coli, other infections, all of that uh, came back negative. I was eventually given a test for, or given a referral for a test for a barium enema. And that would be, I guess, their first chance to really look in uh, on the intestines and see what was going on. But by the time, and there was a maybe two or three months that I had to wait for that test. So in that time, 
I received the medication for, from my uncle in India. That got the disease under control. And by the time I went for the barium enema, I was feeling pretty well. And the test results ended up showing off everything as being pretty well. So they, have, they thought, okay, well, I guess you're okay. And I did too, because you know, things got under control. And by the time I actually had the barium enema, there was no real sign of, of active disease or, or any sign of IBD. As most patients do after a diagnosis, Rashid started researching ulcerative colitis online. Over the years, many patients have told me that their first look online to learn more about IBD was upsetting and scary. They found stories of patients who went through really difficult experiences because that's how the online stories tend to skew. Patients who are doing well, which is the majority of patients, don't often start blogs about their disease. In light of this, going online might do more harm than good in those first days and weeks after diagnosis. Rashid had a different experience while doing research online, and the information he found about ulcerative colitis also made it challenging for him to cope when his disease progressed. I remember also at the time that I started doing all the research for my symptoms and for ulcerative colitis, the first time I ever heard the word ulcerative colitis or the words Crohn's disease were when I started having symptoms of it. I'd never heard of either beforehand. And that's what also made me think as though maybe this isn't such a big deal because, hey, I've never heard of this stuff before. So it couldn't possibly be as detrimental as a lot of the other big name diseases that have the big organizations behind it, the big fundraising campaigns behind it. So I think all of that kind of played into the downplaying of the disease that I did for myself. The initial bit of research I did did downplay the disease uh, quite a bit in retrospect. It, it really did make it seem as though there are treatments available, it'll help with uh, the inflammation, and then on you go with the rest of your life and everything's fine. And I, I did more in-depth research and did learn a little bit more about people who have had ostomies or uh, cock pouches, J pouches, all of the other surgical options that were available. And I started learning more about the potential extra intestinal manifestations of IBD. And all of that was, you know, realistic portrayals of the disease. But it always felt as though the literature was pointing towards treatment will just kind of keep things in check and, and it'll be okay. And these extra intestinal manifestations, they happen, but they're very rare. So I, was, I maybe made the conscious decision to not really worry about it. The difficult part when I eventually did opt for surgery was that, you know, I remember thinking like at the start, this was supposed to be easy. This wasn't supposed to be so hard. It wasn't supposed to be one treatment after another and drip and uh, different diets and alternative treatments and a whole bunch of things. It just became a lot more to bear as, as the, as, as time went on. So I felt a little bit cheated. And also I felt a lot of guilt in that this was supposed to be kind of an easier to manage disease. So why have I not been able to get it under control? I thought I could get it under control myself. And, you know, it took a lot more to, to eventually get it under control than I had really envisioned at first. I told you Rashid was an author. He's written a book about his journey with IBD, and it's a collection of short stories pulled from his everyday life called Three Tablets Twice Daily. 
Most people with IBD will tell you that it's impossible to understand what it's like to live with these diseases unless you are diagnosed with one. Other people have empathy for what we experience, and some dedicated healthcare professionals even try to replicate what some of us go through by undergoing tests like a colonoscopy or going on a liquid diet for a time. But that's not the same thing as lived experience. I asked Rashid if he decided to write his book because the information he found online didn't accurately reflect his personal journey. But his reasons went even deeper than that. It's called Three Tablets Twice Daily, which is the first prescription that I received for my ulcerative colitis after the diagnosis. In learning about the diseases, it took the actual symptoms to get me to finally research the symptoms and to actually hear about Crohn's and colitis and to actually understand what they were. So it was the fact that these really difficult diseases to live with have no public attention. That's what made me want to write. And it was partly that and also part I just wanted other people to understand more intimately, I suppose, what I was going through. Because when you tell people the symptoms in a very clinical kind of way, I have abdominal pain and I have diarrhea with blood in the stool, it doesn't, it sounds not great, but it also sounds like it's not that bad either. Especially when you talk about abdominal pain or pain as a, as a symptom, that can mean lots of things to different people. And you never really get to understand how much a disease can affect someone until you get a better picture of what their day-to-day life actually consists of. So that's what I wanted the book to be, was just short stories about day-to-day life as a result of the disease. So difficulties at work, uh, potential difficulties with relationships, uh, difficulties with just mental health. And I wanted people to understand this is how the disease affects me. And it's not just abdominal pain and not just uh, you know increased stool frequency and urgency and things like that. So you know I wanted to put a little bit more of a, of a story to it. Being public about IBD, especially the more personal aspects, is not an easy decision. The honesty about being sick can affect all aspects of your life, including your career and your social life. Almost any chronic illness author or blogger will tell you how their writing has brought up challenges in their personal life. Rashid is a talented writer, and it makes perfect sense that he would look to writing as an outlet for the difficulties of IBD. His book and his blog at RashidClark.com dive into the symptoms of IBD and its effect on his life in a straightforward way that we don't often see even in the IBD community. Rashid found out pretty quickly how his writings affected his life and those around him for good and for bad. I really felt like I just had to do it. I think for me, it was therapeutic in in many ways that I just could properly document what I was going through. I'm not entirely sure why I was doing it at the time. I I didn't think, oh, well, you know, in 10 years, I'll look back on this and have a good laugh or something. I don't know. it was just something that I wanted to do, to do because I, I wanted to make sense of what was going on. And I think in the midst of a flare-up and, and, and all the difficulties that the disease brings, there's, there's a certain chaos to that. And in writing, I was able to create a little bit more order in that chaos because it fo- forced me to 
sit down and kind of put things in chronological order and, and go back and think about what I was feeling and, and what exactly happened over the course of my day. And I could do a better job of actually figuring out all that was going on with me. And I did it in part, I think, because when I had conversations with my doctor, I could more easily recount all that was going on. And I could say, this is what happened to me. And this is what I ate. And th these are the medications I took. And it's still having these negative effects on my life. So it was more of me just trying to get things out there and make sense of, make sense of the disease for myself. And I think as well, in part, I did want people who didn't have IBD to maybe stumble upon it at some time and say, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty bad. This is pretty serious. And, and it's, it's worth paying attention to. It's worth something, um, you know, for the people who are living with the disease to feel supported because it is, it is bad or it can be bad. I think when the book was first published, and this was back in 2011, I gave it to you know, a number of my friends, colleagues. And at the time I was working part-time for a media company that provides traffic reports to a number of radio stations in the, in the GTA, a greater Toronto area. So my broadcasting colleagues after reading it were just kind of shocked and they couldn't believe that I was still going to work and, and, and trying to do all the normal things, you know, in spite of all that was going on. So they were really surprised. And I don't think that they, again, would have appreciated all that was going on if I told them I have diarrhea and I have abdominal pain. So you know, I'm pretty glad that it had that kind of effect on, on people close to me and hopefully gave them a better understanding about what the disease was like. And one other thing that comes to mind now is that I didn't realize at the time of writing, at the time of publishing, that people other than me who I reference in my short stories or in my blog posts may not always see themselves in the best light as a result of, of what I write about them. And that's something that I was kind of cross about. I think uh, I didn't put a lot of thought into, into how other people might read portrayals of themselves. And I don't think that I've done anything particularly hurtful, uh, but there were a couple of instances where, especially in my book, uh, and I refer to uh, someone that I was in a relationship with, and I didn't mean at all to disparage her or, or make her seem as though she was you know, a, a bad person. But when she read the book, that was the first thing that jumped out to her was that, oh, like, I, I'm being portrayed like I'm just awful. And I, that was never the intent. And because that was never the intent, it was also clear that that was never something that I had even thought about. So that's something that I try to be a little bit more cognizant about now. But uh, that's something that I didn't really think about a whole lot was when other people come into the stories, they are going to probably read it and they have to have their uh, perspective considered as well. So then why do we publish work about our disease? We could certainly write our stories in whatever way we want and then keep it to ourselves. Before the internet, we had these things called journals, and they were meant to be private. Writing is a valid form of therapy, and there's no reason why we should feel compelled to share our stories with the world. So why do we do it? Rashid's answer to my question about why sharing his writing was important to him is delightfully honest, and I expected nothing less. 
it, I did want people to read it, don't get me wrong, because when I published things in an era of social media, of course, I was telling, you know, tweeting, like, here's my latest blog post and going on Facebook and saying, here's the latest thing that I wrote. So, I mean, I wanted people to read it. Um, I, I think anyone who puts stuff on the internet secretly or not secretly wants to become famous for it. And, and I'm no different in that sense. Like, I would love it if all of a sudden, like, one day my website got millions of hits for a particular article and it's being shared all over the place and people want to talk to me more about it. That's, that's why people put stuff on the internet, man. I mean, it's not, it's not just for yourself. It's, uh, it's for your, it's, it's for the, the possibility of fame. Um, and anyone who says otherwise is lying. I really believe that. But, uh, the, the fame never really came for me and that's okay. Uh, and that was never really, that was never the first goal. It was always a, a hopeful side effect. Uh, that never really turned out. But when people did read it, uh, it was mostly others in the IBD community. And I was very appreciative of the support that I received when, when I did put all that writing out there. And it was interesting connecting with other people who had similar experiences or, or other people who had previously gone through surgeries and, and had good things to say uh, about it uh, you know, in, in their recovery. So that was all very beneficial for me. But I don't think I had a, a real solid intent when I started writing and putting things out publicly, I just wanted to maybe raise a little bit more awareness about the disease and try to make sense of it more for myself. And if it came to be that it blew up and got lots of likes and shares, then that would be great too. Hey, super listener. A special thank you to Rashid Clark for talking with me. There's a lot more to our conversation, so you'll hear part two in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to About IBD in your favorite podcast app so that you won't miss it. Follow Rashid on the Twitter and the Instagram as at Rashid Clark, and you can find his blog at RashidClark.com. If you do nothing else after this episode, follow Rashid on Instagram because his photography is spectacular. I told you he was multifaceted. I will put all the links in the show notes for you. Thanks for listening and let me know how you like the show. If you enjoy having me in your earbuds, you can help me out by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. I assume you're already following me all over the interwebs as About IBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and have subscribed to my newsletter for my blog, which is aboutibd.com. Until next time, remember... I want you to know more about IBD. Coming up on the next episode of About IBD. So my idea was I take the toilet during those scramble red lights for all the vehicular traffic, take my toilet, put it down in the middle of the intersection, just kind of sit there for a while and be kind of nonchalant about it. And then when, just before the light changes, just pick up the toilet, run back out uh, onto the sidewalk and then repeat the process over and over. 